Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to another episode of Dope Nostalgia. This is episode 85, and this is Naomi, your host. Our special guest today is my good friend Kendra, a regular on our podcast. You love her. You know her now. It's great. Her and I are going to talk about an album today. Now, Tiffany, the singer, was a huge 80s smash success. She kind of invented the whole idea of the mall tour. Now, her biggest hit, of course, being I Think We're Alone Now. You've all heard of it. <clears throat> I fuck, I sang it at like air bands and stuff when I was a kid. And Tiffany released her third album in the 90s, and it was called New Inside. And it was such a cool change and departure from her teeny bop sound that she cultivated in the 80s, which I loved. I loved both of her first albums. Well, I was so excited to get new inside, and I was not disappointed. It's a fantastic album, but people don't really know much about it. So on this episode, Kendra and I are going to dive deep into the album New Inside. But first, here is some dope nostalgia news. Hot off the presses? got to adjust those rabbit ears. You got that antenna pulled up? It's time for some dope nostalgia news. One of our special guests we've had on the show was former Madonna backup singer Donna DeLore. Now her and Nikki Harris both toured with Madonna for a good, well, 20, 25 years. And not only did they establish a great relationship together, they're making music together. They have a new song out called I Know You, I Live You. And you can download it or listen to it if you find the link in their bio at their Instagram page, Nikki and Donna. That's N-I-K-I-A-N-D-D-O-N-N-A. Wikipedia Moment. For this Wikipedia Moment, I'm not going to give you the whole history of Tiffany the singer because we can save that for an episode all about her career. Today we're talking about the album New Inside, her third studio album that was released on October 2nd, 1990. It's classified as a pop and new jack swing album, and it had been released shortly after she had broken it off with her manager and producer George Tobin. Now, she had just signed with manager Dick Scott and producer Maurice Starr, the ones that were part of the New Kids on the Block phenomenon, and they had risen to huge popularity in 1988 due to opening for Tiffany on her tours. Now, New Inside wasn't the most successful album for Tiffany, but I thought it had some of the greatest songs she's ever done, which is something I wanted to talk to you about with Kendra. You know, let her know a little bit about a great Tiffany album. One of the songs you might have heard of was called Here In My Heart, written by superstar songwriter Diane Warren, and it was dedicated to the troops serving in the Gulf War at the time. Also, the song had been dedicated to AIDS victim Ryan White. Now, there's all kinds of cool things to tell you about this album now, and let's get to it. So, uh, did you Google Tiffany and Playboy yet? No, I haven't. I do should. It. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> you just have to search Tiffany Playboy and hit images. That is it. I think Debbie Gibson might have done this too. <laughs> I'm waiting for the expression Whoa. on her face. <laughs> like she shows everything. 
<laughs> yeah, she so she definitely shows everything. Uh, you know. Whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she looks good. She does look good. Holy shit! Isn't that crazy? When what year? Oh, that was two thousand two. 2002 so that was 19 years ago wow really like that's actually not that long ago when you think about it i guess no but holy shit <laughs> that my wife is gonna go on here and be like why is there playboy on it's computer? naomi's fault it's naomi's fault <laughs> clearly your browser history yeah. <laughs> She looks good. I don't know if we should include that in the podcast. Or uh, probably not. <laughs> now, everybody, I've mentioned this several times on the podcast that Tiffany was a big deal to me because she was the first musical choice I ever made on my own. Where it was grade four, I think I was seven or eight years old, and I... I heard, I think we're alone now at school and I know her stuff was big, but I never really had access to listening to the top 40 radio at the time or whatever, but I heard some of her songs in school from other kids. And I was like, I really like this. I really, really like this. So I asked my mom if I could get a tape of hers and my mom let me get it. And I was absolutely addicted to the this. And we're talking about the very first Tiffany tape, right? So it was like 1987, like I said. Yeah, um, there's a lot of cool songs on there. I really like to um, not just I think we're alone now, but I remember doing air bands to that song and things like that in 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 elementary. But there's songs on there too, like Johnny's got the inside moves and uh, Danny, like really cool tunes. I don't know if you know that first tape of hers. I, I'm not super. I'm mainly familiar with I think we're alone now. Um... I, I know the one song. I don't know if it was off her first one. Uh, could have been. It is off the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I know that one too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like that one. Actually. I think that's a great song. It's a very beautifully written song. Mm -hmm. could have been. It was fantastic. Um, and it really shows her range. Um, second album that came out was, uh, I think it was 88, maybe 89 um all this time no it was no all this time was the lead single it was called um hold an old friend's hand oh okay so that was her sophomore one and i think it was fantastic as well um quite an interesting range of tunes on there but the album i wanted to talk about today because we're a 90 centered podcast and i think this album didn't get all the credit it deserved and i really really thought it was a big departure for her trying to take on a new sound new image, new management. She was doing it all at that time. So it was the album from 1990 called New Inside. Yes. And I, uh, I listened to it today and uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised with like the difference in her voice on this one. Like she had a lot more grit and like you could see that she was really trying to shed that like kind of teeny bopper image with this one, which like makes sense that she was trying to kind of be seen more as a like legit artist mm -hmm. which is i think a shame that it didn't get the notoriety that it deserved because vocally i thought she was awesome on this album there's some really cool stuff she pulls off vocally for sure mm -hmm. um but it was like such a departure in the style like it was going towards like a new jack swing sound which was i totally got that i actually wrote that down in one of my notes that i was like this has got a very like new jack swing mm-hmm 
released in October 2nd, 1990. And uh, she had just, yeah, just moved on and wanted to do new things and not only change up her style, but I think it was very well documented that her producer at the time had been kind of screwing her over money wise. Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like he had a lot of control, like his, like the original producer. And I, I saw that she had Maurice Starr as her producer for this one, which like does not surprise me because when I was listening to it, I kind of got like a new kids vibe on it. Uh, yeah. On, on a couple of just like of new kids, like just the instrumentation part of things on a couple of the songs. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see the list of who wrote what I should really take a look at that because that would definitely Tiff's back was completely written by Maury star. So that one would back in the groove. Now it's kind of like an R and B type tune, but we'll go to a track by track eventually. Yeah, totally. um, Maury did a lot of writing in it, but it was more of his production. Yeah. The instrumentation and the production behind it, I totally got that vibe. There's actually uh, one song when we do the like track by track that I actually got like almost Paula Abdul mixed with Michael Jackson vibes, just based oh, on, yeah. on the production and the instrumentation on it. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, those styles definitely because that was the time that around the time Paula had Abdul had just come out like a year or two before that, and Paula, oh, okay, Paula had come out after tiffany and debbie gibson so she was like the new incarnation of pop a pop star head-to-head with janet jackson at yeah, the time. yeah yeah it was always like the tiffany and debbie rivalry which wasn't a real rivalry they didn't actually have a rivalry they loved each other but that's but the, the media way... like to pit them against them exactly yeah. you got two yeah. two female pop stars make them riled up against each other right Totally. Um, and then they did the same thing with Paula and Janet, which was funny too, because they were also good friends. I mean, Paula Corey, Corey, I was good. She choreographed, right? For yeah. For Janet. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Before but she you know, I, I think they, there's, there's always going to be that case of somebody who's rivaling somebody who's maybe in a similar realm as them. Like, you know, you look at Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and they actually did have a rivalry, but it wasn't, it wasn't because they, actually hated each other they were pitted against they actually were pitted against each other because of Lou Perlman, By Lou Perlman. Yeah. he literally wanted to create that to sell more music because he was profiting off both of them right right so it's kind of sick the so, you think about it right like you know it's, it's just unfortunate um but yeah she decided let's change everything up I mean her choosing new kids management and production doesn't surprise me due to the fact that she's the reason new kids on the block became big Mm -hmm. right so she had that connection with them was with them through the entire time and then uh you know probably said hey well (laughs) they're help i help you you help me all this kind of thing you know it's great it's great they were all good friends so Mm -hmm. i think that maybe the album before hadn't done that well so they wanted to kind of give her that boost with a new sound um so new inside it's funny because i think that is one of my very favorite tiffany albums it didn't get quite the critical acclaim though that like her other albums got which is is like like i said it's a shame because i think that vocally i was really impressed with her on this album and i found like a lot of the songs were super catchy and Mm. uh Although there's a few of them where I thought it was almost borderlining on sounding like a too much repetitive formula, but like, Mm -hmm. 
but there was just enough differences that like I could like overlook that, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like I, I I thought that it was super catchy and I thought it really showcased what she could do vocally, which I, I can't say for sure, like on the other albums, because I didn't listen to them first. But like mm -hmm. from what I know of her first album, what I do know of it, I was pleasantly surprised with her vocals on this one like I didn't know that she had that grit behind her and like the, the range she had in some of these like those are some really difficult songs especially in some of her ballads I was just like kind of blown away I've always so, thought Tiffany had the grit but the grit is much more pronounced on this album totally because like even a song like the very first song on the first album called should have been me that I thought she had some grit in that one yeah. See, and I haven't listened to all of her music, so like mm. I probably didn't hear it. But from what I know of hearing her just on the radio, yeah. definitely doesn't showcase that side as much. And I thought like that was interesting and and really like kind of like a ple a pleasant surprise for me who hasn't been like completely knowledgeable on all of her music. Oh, sweet. Okay. No, I like that. I like that. Um, so I guess this album came out on her nineteenth birthday. Yes, I, I read that too. I'm looking through the Wikipedia now because, you know, that's what you do. <laughs> um, I think the album did better in Japan than it did anywhere else on in the world commercially. Yeah, it was in the top 100. I think it got to like top 17 or something that I read. Hmm. Something like that, which isn't bad considering that like it, it didn't quite chart very well here. <laughs> okay, so here's... We're going to do the song by song thing here. Okay. Um, ultimately, she ends up back with her old manager after three years later, after this is put out, she decides to go back. Um, they probably worked out their creative differences, I'm sure. You know, at that point. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was dance R&B orientated, which I think was very, what I would call New Jack Swing. Yeah, I totally got that vibe, too. I even wrote that down on one of my notes. <laughs> mm -hmm. During that time, it was cool, too, because she was doing the voice of Judy Jetson on the actual movie of the Jetsons. Oh, I didn't know that. Around that time, too. <laughs> and she did sing on the soundtrack as well. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> so what basically she was saying, too, is about the reasons why she picked the management team she did is when new kids on the block started opening for me on the first round of the tour. I think that opened my eyes a lot because I saw so much how they would nurture their ideas rather than squash them. Sometimes their ideas were outlandish and it was, we'll get there, but we're not there now, but that's a good idea a year from now. A lot of people around her made her feel silly to be saying things or just didn't listen. So she kind of knew that it wasn't going to work in a long-term career. And then when I finally started working on the new inside project and new inside itself, that's exactly what the song is about. Of course, we made it about a love relationship, but the song is really more about busting down those walls, changing things, being open-minded, pushing yourself a little bit and being a little new inside. Nice. So that's cool. Yeah, I totally got that vibe um, from the song. Obviously she was trying to make like a statement and kind of, like reinvent herself and uh it right off the hop like i was like oh this is this is interesting for what i know of her mm -hmm. and that that first one uh i thought it had a really good beat like right off the bat kind of really hooky and got your attention and and like i said with uh you know hearing the really like nice 
texture of her voice in that song. I really I enjoyed it. And mm. and I enjoyed the rap, which I uh, I recognized that voice. Oh, <laughs> did you? I yeah. did. Did you? All, all of our, our, our new kids nights. <laughs> yes. If you, I, I don't tell people about what we do, but our guilty pleasures nights where I force you to watch new kids on the block videos with me. <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, what are friends for? And honestly, I, I can't say I don't like it. it it's been, uh, it's, fun it's been stuff. fun. It's good. It's good stuff. It's good. Fun, it's fun, fun music. Stuff. I like it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Donnie Wahlberg was very, uh, very important on that track. He was rapping in it. Um, I think he co-wrote some of that song. He and he was credited under a different name, wasn't he? Like he Dennis was. Cheese. He was, was it? Dennis. Yes, he was Dennis Cheese. Yeah. If you watch the uh, show Wahlburgers, there's an episode where his brother Paul, who runs the restaurant tells Jenny about Donnie's nickname that he doesn't really like apparently and uh, <laughs> and she starts calling him that and he's like where'd you hear about that <laughs> that's awesome he's yeah but uh, Love it. I actually I don't think he disliked that nickname he's had like re- fuck he wears a shirt before that says cheese on the back and stuff so I maybe I think- he's like I'm just gonna roll with it so I gotta take the thunder out of everybody who makes fun of me with this and be like, I fucking own this shit. It was a really cool kickoff track, New Inside. I thought it was a fantastic way to start the album. Really good energy. Totally. She performed it on a lot of shows and such at the time. Um, I just thought, like, I was used to real bubblegum pop at the time when this album came out. I was used to a lot of bubblegum sounds. Um, And hearing this kind of harder edge pop music. I to me it felt like it was hard, like hard. And then like yeah. listening to it now, it's not that hard. But I mean, 
but at the time at the time it totally i could see why you would kind of feel that way because like Mm. yeah with everything that had come before it or like was kind of the current sound of the time she was trying to reinvent herself and kind of came up with like a different vibe and style i totally got that that grittiness and that kind of like edgier sound i and i i really appreciated it but like Mm. i think you know I think you and I kind of are very similar in the taste that we kind of are drawn to. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally drawn to those kind of singers. Like like that female gritty, like pink, pink, pink. <laughs> freaking yeah. idol. I love her for a reason. She's got that tone and it's just, it's just so awesome to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, it was, she had the chops vocally, Tiffany to pull that type of sound off i thought i thought oh yeah with it. totally yeah um so that's your big boombastic entrance into the album and then the second song is probably one of my favorites on the album it's you yeah um because it's got some interesting places it goes melodically in that chorus this is totally I really want it alive it was kind of rhythm nation ish this is the one I totally put down that I got like Paula Abdul, Michael Jackson vibes from in the arrangement. Yeah. I totally got that. It was super catchy. And uh, like it, the melody had a simplicity to it in some spots, but like, I think it worked overall. It was just a really good formula for like a really good, strong, catchy pop tune with that mm-hmm. like, like cool vibe to it. the chorus is fantastic i think yeah because it's just goes into some really interesting places um so tiffany is a co-writer on that track nice uh and the funny thing about the length of these tracks too it's a 10 song album and every song is it's close to four or five minutes i you know i made a note about that because i was like that's crazy i and i think that really um tells how music has kind of evolved over the years because like you know nowadays you want to keep your songs in the three and a half minute mark um and a lot of it i think has to do with like people are are stuck in this like 
instant gratification mode yeah. everything is at their fingertips their phones are like at their fingertips if you're standing in line and you're bored at the bank you <laughs> you can pull out your phone and play some games to pass the time right so like Ooh. keeping people's attention yeah keeping pe people's attention for longer than like a minute is hard sometimes so like well nowadays it's excruciating compared to then Right. So like 30. this is back in a time I think that there was a little bit more appreciation for what goes into a song, right? Now it's it's you have to hook people within that first like 30 to 60 seconds or, or you could lose them, right? Well, that, there's radio stations that there was a radio station that tried to debut uh here in Alberta that was only going to play a minute 30 to 2 minutes of every song. Did you hear about that? No, yeah, like, <laughs> what that's the how hell? the attention spans are. They were going to cut songs in half just to, and, and, and that got, sh that got kibosh. Thank goodness. Thank because God. Cause the thing is, is I don't that's think just that taking away the complete ripping away the value of a song. It's ripping away the value of music completely. Right. And like, yeah, like I think that if you can hook somebody in within the first 30 seconds and you can make their interest stay, is, mm -hmm. is, is the challenge now it's mm -hmm. i don't think it necessarily has to be like if it's a five minute song then you're pushing it but like if you have something to say that will captivate people long enough you can still do it it's just you have to catch them in the first 30 seconds or you know it's over <laughs> you have to you have to catch the uh ar at a record company within that amount of time who's just right. even listening to your demo so yeah forget about everything else that's really where you have to you have to you have no choice there's no such thing as a long intro anymore right <laughs> right on that world um which is yeah. funny because like if if we move on to like the next song Mo moment to rest yeah um there's a long intro to that and i'm guessing that's probably the interlude that i'm guessing like because it, it like is. and i was just like man like this would not wash over now having like that interlude, like unless you're listening to the entire album, but like it takes like a solid minute before it gets to her singing. And I'm like, mm -hmm. but back in the day, you could get away with doing those interludes and it wouldn't really do much for like tanking your album. Right. Back in the day, an interlude was a very common part of pop R&B music. It was very uh, common to have an interlude, but at the same time, CDs were new. So how to cut the interlude in and out was not quite established yet because I think they made it eventually that you could skip an interlude. Right. But not in all, like in this situation, you've got a five minute and 27 second song because the first minute and a half is interlude. Right. And then you hit the song. So you can't skip it. Right. So it just makes for a really, really long song. <laughs> Yeah. And then she doesn't even start singing until like a minute, minute and some into it. Which is not necessarily a bad thing because it's kind of complementing the whole album experience where it's like yeah. you don't skip things. You just kind of let them happen. Right, right. And that, like I think there was more of an appreciation for that mm -hmm. back then. I think nowadays everybody cherry picks with the songs they like. They don't necessarily listen to full albums anymore. But uh, that, that song, I thought... Uh, it definitely had like that classic early '90s ballad vibe. Um, I was just like, "Yeah, this is this is definitely has has that nostalgic feel for me." Like on um, what I grew up on. The reason I'm throwing it on right now is because, as well versed as I am with this album, I just wanted a quick refresher for my brain. 
about how long the interlude is. It's like and a actually, minute. And actually, like, going to... I'm trying to think about what this song reminds me of. It's very Janet Jackson. Right. Totally different voice, of course, but very, it's got a Janet feel to it, I feel. The vibe, yeah. Ooh, right there. That's, that is kind of the type of style that Janet was doing on her slow, slow tunes at that time. Yeah, and I totally, that's, I, I thought, like, has that early 90s ballad vibe 100% down. Like, I could totally see the correlation there. But uh, it, it really showcases a range, though, that song. This might be my favorite song on the album. Number four, Never Run My Motor Down. That one, yeah. That totally the caught energy? my attention right away, yeah. I think it's the verse that I love the most, actually. Can I play a little bit? Just yeah. Play Just because... You got those synths in there, that pop synth, but I mean... The melody of the verse is my favorite. Super catchy. I I totally enjoy the instrumental arrangement on this song because it's just like super catchy. Those are those little nuances with like the synths and whatnot. Like I think really make those little like earworms that make you like want to sit there and bop yeah. along. Right? I, I'm glad that you're able to put your mindset into somebody in 1990 listening to that because obviously it's not going to sound current, but um. With me, if I were to listen to that song for the first time in 30 years, I'm going, I can hear how it's dated, but I don't even care because I just love where it goes so much. Oh, and 100%. Like, and and I, I still listen to things with the intention of being about the melody of it. Yeah. And the melody is fantastic. Totally. Yeah. And it, it's just like super catchy, like right off the bat. Like I, I wrote down, like, it totally caught my attention right off the bat and like, and that's why I really enjoyed the instrumentation. Like, cause the thing is, is like, it, it is dated. I could tell it's nineties, but like, I have such an appreciation for nineties music. And like, you know, there was a lot of music that maybe I don't remember or like didn't have the same appreciation back then. Cause maybe I wasn't quite in that realm of like my focus on that music at that time because this was like early 90s so I was still pretty young and pretty influenced by like what my parents listened to and what my my older sister listened to yeah Uh, she did listen to some Tiffany so I didn't know some but like I didn't particularly know this one but uh yeah I thought the instrumentation totally made like that boppy feel and like the melody totally was like a lot of fun on this one for sure. And I think it's cool that you can say that you had an older sister because like you were able to absorb 
basically someone who's just slightly older than you's opinion on music. Whereas I was the oldest sister. So all I had was what my parents and grandparents were listening to. And that's why it took me so long to find what I was looking for. Because I was the oldest. Um, But yeah. yeah. Well, like I I had a really well-rounded family when it came to music. Like my dad was very much into like the classic rock. Anything that was played on like K97. Yeah. he listened to and uh my mom was very like 90s country some older country too uh she really loved like patsy klein and all that Mm. and then my sister she kind of was like all over the map she really liked the 80s hair metal she liked tiffany uh when she was really like like younger like when i started to find my like taste in music was like kind of preteens danielle was into the new kids and whatnot and then grew into the harder stuff as she got a little older that's exactly what i did i feel like your sister is also a big supporter of this show um because i think we kind of followed the same musical path in some ways like not really knowing each other in any way until the last few years since you and i have known each other but I feel like we had a similar trajectory and uh... totally. Yeah. You guys listen to a lot of the same music. I think that like, she's known more of the artists on your show than I have. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I really appreciate her support because like, and, and we also play the uh, trailer to her podcast on here too. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we support Danielle's show as well, but um yeah like she she, you had that in your life so that you were able to hear what the siblings were listening to so you still knew what was cool right at a very young age right right yeah so like I I was heavily influenced and and like you know I was probably about 12 when I 11 12 when I started to kind of venture off and find things that I liked on Mm -hmm. my own um I think that's why I have a really like eclectic taste in music because like i just was all over the map growing up too right and uh i just love everything i think there's like merit in almost every music (laughs) you know that's a good question that maybe having a poll is uh for for the podcast have a twitter poll is uh what age were you when you discovered music that you discovered on your own yeah i think that's a great question because like i think everybody kind of comes from like a different background you get some people that weren't not heavily influenced by music at all like until they're older right like mm-hmm. if music wasn't a big thing in their household true i've met people where like nobody listened to music in their house and i'm like what, what? <laughs> <laughs> how does it that happens. work <laughs> it happens sometimes it's just not a priority for people i've yeah. even met people who don't even like music uh very rarely i can think of maybe one or two in all the people i've met in my life who have said that to me yeah, that's crazy. Not liking music seems interesting. It's I can't even <laughs> fathom. Like I'm like, music, what what brings you like, joy and comfort? Like so much of like it's been a part of my life, like my entire life. You know, like I remember just some of the hardest times I've gone through. Mm-hmm. Um music has been such a, a comfort and like, you know almost like that shoulder to cry on kind of thing, right? Like it's been such a emotional experience for me i can't even fathom not having it in my life yeah. <laughs> absolutely though um wow <laughs> yeah. and back back to the next song <laughs> now here is the song that we would listen to before you flip to side b on your tape uh, on your tape player oh my gosh this is also in- the most popular song off this album 
It is. I noticed that it was the most plays on Spotify, but I also um, totally understand why after I figured out who wrote it. Oh my goodness. One of the greatest songwriters of all time wrote this song. Miss Diane Warren. Right? Like, oh my God, how many hits has that woman written like for so many people? And like, I'm like, I totally get it. It's such a fantastic song. Diane Warren on your... If you can do a Diane Warren song, you have. Wow, I can't even describe it. Yeah, that is a huge deal. And I think that the song was dedicated to Ryan White when he passed away. Do you remember the story of Ryan White? I do not. Ryan White was a young man who had a disease called hemophilia. And he underwent many blood transfusions for that disease. Um, And he was probably... Early teens, when he contracted HIV from a blood transfusion. Okay. Um, He went through, there was like so much press about him because he went through so much at school, being bullied. People didn't want to talk to him, didn't want to touch him. They treated him like garbage. Michael Jackson took him under his wing and took care of him. And, and, and they created the Ryan White Fund to raise money for AIDS awareness at the time. But I mean, the treatments weren't there. They weren't there back then when this happened to Ryan White. So he this passed was, away at a very young age. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, that was back at the time when like AIDS was like still relatively a new thing in the early 90s. It had just come out in the 80s, right? Yeah. And Maybe, uh, yeah, it, it had probably been out since the early 80s. It early existed. 80s. Yeah. But, but in the late 80s, early 90s, it was becoming prevalent in uh in society, but people still couldn't understand or recognize what it was. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people still stigmatize it so hard because they thought you couldn't touch someone who had AIDS or right. Like, I mean, Princess, it- Princess Diana also did a lot to try to destigmatize it because there was a very famous uh, story of her going into a hospital with AIDS patients and hugging them and stuff and touching yeah. them. Yeah, because like a lot of people just weren't educated on how it was transferred. So like everybody was just completely terrified on like, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it was considered a gay disease. Yes. For a very, long time. Well, it was very predominant in the gay, like LGBTQ community because of how it was transferred. But it, it but that that was another stigma that had to be broken because anybody. As if there wasn't gone. already enough stigma at that time for right <laughs> community, right? Right. So. It's interesting when you think about it, like I just remember being alive at that time and AIDS being this new disease and being so scary. Yeah. And just being like a kid thinking, oh my goodness, people are just like withering away and dying. Right. <laughs> just See, like, and like why? for me, I was too young to really remember that, but like being a member of the LGBTQ community and having friends that, you know, grew up in the eighties and, and uh, some that were, you know, old enough to to kind of be a part of that and had friends that that died from it back then and like you know and hearing their stories and like it was quite quite a heavy thing to to hear but uh you know I think that it's come a long way since then like there's been so many like advances in medication and and it's it's not it's not a death sentence anymore like it was no it's actually very livable now you know um completely livable now which is a beautiful thing but uh it's a, that song is a beautiful song and if it was uh mm. you know i i could totally feel uh 
a connection to it. So if it was like sung in honor of somebody that she cared about, I totally got, I got that vibe. I didn't know that, but I could feel it. Well, I wonder if Diane Warren wrote it for Ryan White or if that was just dead. Cause it said originally the song was dedicated to Ryan White. However, as an attempt to take advantage of current events at the time, the Gulf war had just started or was about to start when the single was released on January 8th, 1991, the Gulf war started days later. So it was eventually rededicated to the troops serving in the Gulf War and became the official USO song. Well, it's such a powerful song. I could see how it could be easily transferred to so many different scenarios that way. Because, like, you know, it's, you know, with Diane Warren, you're always going to have that big ballad. You're going to hit get hit in the feels with those songs, right? So, like, I totally understand how it could be transferable that way. Because like uh, that one was probably one of my favorites off the album. It was such a fantastic song, and it really, really showcased how how good of a singer she is. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was no just like, distance. that part was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is a singer's song, hundred percent. And then I was like, oh, it's this written by song- Di- Diane Warren. Of this course, this is a song I want to find on karaoke so bad. Oh. I'm gonna sing it. Yeah. <laughs> I could totally, I, you know, I, that even crossed my mind. I'm like, I wonder if Naomi's found this on karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to get it. I tried to get, well, I tried to get a bunch of Tiffany songs that I could find that were rare. I got all this time and I got radio romance and those were off of that album, but not this album. I don't think I found anything off of this album yet for karaoke, but anyway, um, the song's just wow. Mind blowing. listen to the song before you knew who wrote it or after uh i listened to it first yeah and i was blown away by it and i was like wow this is like a singer's song wow this is like a big ballad song and then i went and found out that it was diane warren that wrote it i was like well no shit (laughs) 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 i'm like you know what it's funny how like it like if you're an avid music lover or musician or singer how you can like nose out those kind of songs and know like like for instance um adam lambert's first album was like i loved that album and the first song 
that I absolutely loved off the album and it was before it was really big on the radio was What Do You Want From Me? Yeah, I know who wrote that song. I know who wrote that song. I (laughs) do. It's Pink. And I was like, of course, the one song I'm going to 100% gravitate to is one that she wrote. I can hear it. (laughs) I can totally hear it too. And I I actually... uh, yeah, I've heard her demo too, and it's yeah. it's damn good. And I was just like, of course. And it, I've I've done that a few times with with songs where I was just like, I can totally hear like when you get certain people that have a certain like style to the way that they write, um, mm-hmm. you can totally pick those songs out. And I'm like, yeah, I wasn't surprised when I heard that. <laughs> I'm gonna take a quick bathroom slash beer break. Yeah, I'm gonna go grab some water while we, while we flip the side of the tape. Okay. <laughs> It's Mike, your host of Get the Word, an etymology podcast for word nerds. We'll talk about the history and origin of words in English. If you're coming over from the English sessions, well, then I'll give you an even bigger welcome, loyal listener. The English Sessions is the podcast I've been doing for a while now for English learners and and is where Get the Word was first conceived. I decided to make Get the Word its own podcast since I started to realize I was making content more for native speakers with these etymology episodes, which seemed to warrant its own feed. Don't worry, though. For those of you who are English learners, there will still be transcripts of the episodes on the website. Look for details in the show notes. Get the Word, an etymology podcast for word nerds. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. From who? Uh, just say from, from the one who loves you, baby. Hi, this is Tiffany, and I'm so excited you can reach me now on my private phone line. Just call 1-900-909-TIFF. I have so many things I'd like to tell you. You're my friend, so call me. That's 1-900-909-TIFF. And if you're one of my lucky callers, you get to talk to me live, one-on-one. Remember my number, 1-900-909-TIFF. Under 18, get permission before calling. $2 first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Call me, okay? Now, this next one, I'm going to play a clip of it because this is the one that was written by Maurice Starr, Tiff's back, but also because I can't actually remember how it went. Okay. It's going to come back to me like that, but I just want to play a clip of it. Oh, that's new kids there, yeah. (laughs) Right? Your boyfriend, John. (laughs) Cool. I like it. This is the one that I got that new Jack Swing vibe to. I thought it was new inside. Well, it does sound like a new edition song too. Yeah. He, he also wrote for. <laughs> okay, I remember now. Those beats. I, I know. I, constantly, I was like, this is a great beat. Great beat. It was like super catchy. <laughs> yeah. 
And there's always going to be like na na's or o's or something. And there was na 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 na. Totally. Okay, I, I get the idea now. Mm -hmm. But I, ha I had to have a refresher on that. Sorry. It came back. But I totally got the new kids vibe on that one too. And like, this is the thing I listened to it and then I went and looked up stuff about it. And I was like, mm -hmm. like my, my instinct of like the new kids and all that totally made sense. <clears throat> well, yeah, totally. Like it's just, you know, Marie star had a style. I mean, and it was a good style. The guy had a gift for melody a gift for rhythm, very basic, very simple pop hooks to grab you, but but well written, well written. He he did yeah. a gift. Um, yeah, and he demonstrated that first off, of course, with New Edition. I don't know how much you know about New Edition. I think you know about Not some a whole lot. members of New Edition. I do. Yes. Right? <laughs> like yeah. obviously Bobby Brown, Bell Biv DeVoe. Yeah, they all yeah. came from that group. So um, there were some others: Ralph Tresvant, Johnny Gill, um, big R and B stars. Yeah, all came from that group. Um, but yeah, Tiff's back totally makes sense of where it came from. I believe yeah. the next song, Our Love, is kind of like a ballad. Mm hmm But um, who wrote this one? This has a like take these broken wings vibe to it. Oh yeah, I could totally hear that. But the but just the intro. Just the intro. And then I feel yeah. like it kind of And like... then it it changes totally. The chorus totally gets stuck in your head though, like right off the bat. I'm having a really easy time remembering the first side, but not the second side. <laughs> if I hadn't been listening to Taylor Swift instead of this, I would have been listening to this. But you know, if you look at the weight, like the the listens on Spotify, they do start to go down at this part of the album. So I wonder if like a lot of people just weren't into this section. <coughs> that would be unfortunate because I think it's good. I like the song. I feel like the melody for the verse is probably could have been a bit better. Um, but like the 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 chorus is super catchy and it totally gets stuck in your head. Like I was singing it afterwards. Yeah. The pre is okay. Yeah. She gets right up there, you know? She gets gritty. Yeah. But I, I wasn't like a huge fan of like the melody and the verses. Like it wasn't like yeah. it's bad, but it just like feel, I felt like was such a good chorus. I think there's a lot melodically that they could have done just to make it interesting the entire way through the song. The, the ball was dropped, uh, I think, melodically on the verse. Yeah. But, uh, the chorus is fantastic. And so are the harmonies in it. So yeah, 100 percent. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, we're all not definitely probably not the best track on the album, but it's good. I thought it was good, yeah. Life Affair had a cool chorus, too. There's just some really interesting things they did harmonically on this album. Mm -hmm. It's funny, because Life Affair was, like, the least played one on Spotify. Yeah. And I was like, you know, because I, I, I looked at all the plays to see, like, where is everybody kind of headed to on this album? Yeah. And then when I listened to it, it's like, so I'm like, okay, well, this one doesn't get played as much. Um, 
And it totally has kind of a different vibe from like the rest of the album I found, except for like, um, like the beat of it. But then when like the um, the 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 breakdown, the second half of it totally kicks in, and I think it totally fits. But maybe it's the first half of the song people weren't feeling it. I want to take a quick listen to Life Affair. Um, sure. I think one of the things I'm noticing about this album, though, is a lot of the songs do sound quite different, even though the style is similar. Um, and you're, that'll be very noticeable on the next track. But I mean, right now, I want to take a listen to Life Affair. Mm-hmm. Let's have a life affair. That's all I remember. Nice. I love beats like this. It's the totally 90s. Oh, yeah. Who's doing those backing vocals? It kind of sounds like New Kids. It's no, to me, it's reminiscent of MC Scat Cat. Oh, the wild okay, okay. It sounds like the wild pair to me. But you know, this part sounds a little different. It has a like kind of higher synth that makes it a little bit happier sounding, I think. Not that the rest of them are like really down sounding, but like it just has a brighter sound than some of the other songs I find. I just couldn't hit it properly. Also, but like uh, it has a breakdown like in the middle and then it kicks in and the back half of that song totally like amps up. And I think like overall, I thought it was like a, a decent song, but that was like the one that was least played. And I was trying to figure out like, I wonder why. I just wonder mm. if maybe just the vibe was a little too different to fit, but I thought it was good still. I think it fit in with the album completely. Totally. Um, maybe it's just placement on the album track list, you know? Maybe. Sometimes that's maybe. what it is. Yeah. Um, that I thought that song's better than other songs. Uh, I thought it was better than Our Love, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know. The next one I wanted to listen to, uh, the second last song on the album, Back in the Groove, because this was the other Maurice Star song. Oh, really? And I also think that this is probably the most different track on the album i totally agree i'm like it has a really old school vibe to it that oh yeah this is throwback r&b yeah temptations you know there's one part that totally gave me the um you know that song emotions just emotions taking me over. Tell me if you can find it. Because I'm like, every time I heard it, it made me think of it. Okay, I'm going to try to find the part. No, not there. 
You'll hear it. You'll hear it. I think you'll hear it. I'll point it out once I hear it. I think it was that one part that just passed, like some of the harmonies, because I'm like, every time I thought. Okay, I'm like, okay. Was it in the pre chorus at the beginning? I think so. Okay. Right there. Now I can't find. Before it wasn't like will be, will yeah. be no more. It was more sad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like trying to find it again, but I'm like, I totally heard it when I was listening to it earlier. I swear I'm not going crazy, but <laughs> but it was like it, it was the it wasn't the same notes obviously, but it was like the same vibe of like that old school kind of harmony kind of like some kind of Supremes type. Uh, to uh, well, happening. especially because like if you think like that song, I think that was originally a Bee Gees song that destiny's child does later on right emotions As, yeah yeah and i totally got that same vibe from that song where it like has that kind of old school feel mm -hmm. um and the backup vocals are awesome on it i love the harmonies they are i even like when you did that when i played the second pre-chorus i like the there was a higher harmony stuck on it that was nice yeah mm. last song of the album now this is probably the most to me sensual type of song i think she lets go vocally really hard in a good way totally i loved this one this one was one of my favorites on on the album there's so much emotion in this in mm -hmm. her vocal and uh for some reason this song really got stuck on me and um i think okay well i'll just like i pressed play but i didn't <laughs> That's not Marie Star though, is it? In a long time, baby. Do you have to leave? No, it's not Marie Star. It's Damien and Mark Wilson. Philip Damien and Mark Wilson. This is a long song. I know, it's seven and a half minutes. with the chorus yeah there's so much vocally that happens in the verses i know i actually i love the verses on this Ooh, 
think up until this point in her career, this was one of her most vocally diverse performances. Absolutely. Her song. Yeah. Now, you're not hearing it yet because it's building up. You can hear her subtle nuances and emotion in the beginning, but yeah, it gets soul wrenching. Fuck, I'm just going to go into the second verse because you have to. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like this album totally showcases her vocal ability to be able to belt like that and then come right back down into a softer spot. It's so it's hard. Very hard to belt and then go soft. Very hard. Normally when you belt, you just cut it off at the end of the belt. I feel like the whole song kind of just goes out showing what she can do. Because even like the bridge is just soft spoken, just her talking, but yeah. But anyways, I think it's really good. And then it just kind of peters off as an outro. Yeah, I think so. Ah, uh, that's very Janet too. Tell totally. girl, I guess. Very Janet. Yeah. But when I say Janet, I'm talking Rhythm Nation Janet, because that was out before this. Barely. Barely. Man, it was a good time to grow up. <laughs> was it was really? a really good time for me for music i absolutely adore this album yeah no i thought it was a really solid album it was really good uh you know it it, it kind of sucks when that happens when like there's a really really great album that doesn't really get the notoriety that maybe it deserves maybe because it's just a little too different or or you know people just can't get behind it you know mm. but there's still so much good music out there that like there's probably so many people that haven't even touched on some of the stuff that kind of got missed in the folds right yeah exactly and i think like i just think that so much more should have happened with her career you know like she should have she she was making the right music i don't think she made any mistakes 
Yeah. But, you know, you know, sometimes it's just like, and, you know, with some of the other people that you've had on the podcast before, sometimes people just don't kind of evolve where the music is going, you know, and like not saying that it was completely different for her, but like, you know, sometimes it's just certain things catch on and then it, it changes and it's like, you have to be able to kind of the wind shifts. Yeah. The wind shifts and you have to kind of try and, and adapt and like the people that can adapt are the ones that have had the longevity in their careers because like they and, yeah. and yeah, you kind of have to always have your finger on the pulse. If you kind of take, you know, that break at the wrong time, you might miss the boat. <laughs> and I don't think she did anything wrong. I don't think she did anything to skip a beat. I think she made the proper moves that should have happened at that point in her career. Honestly, mm -hmm. um, she I think she picked the right style of music because this music was hot as shit. Then it was really good. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that her fan base might not have wanted that style well especially if they're really stuck on that you know because well, uh, they've been growing with her but you know it's 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 hard to say because you know there's some artists that can get away with like being different like you know like i obviously go back to pink a lot because i know a lot about her but like mm -hmm. she's somebody that has you know been lucky enough to do what she wants when she wants to and her fans understand her but then there's other people that like have not had the same luck tiffany being one of them where like if she changes too much mm -hmm. like her fans don't quite support it and that's always i think a gamble with artists if you're kind of changing a little bit too much for your fans sometimes i can't get behind it which... sometimes yep yeah, that's true um I would say after this album, so in 1990, she ended up going back to George Tobin as her manager, producer, um, later down the road. The album that came out in 2000, Tiffany put it, it took her 10 years to do another album. And it was called The Color of Silence. And it was really, really cool as well. So I recommend people checking that out. Um, but yeah, she's put out a lot of stuff. In fact, um, her most recent album came out in 2021. I think it came out in 2020, but uh, according to Spotify, Pieces of Me, and because it was already out by the time you and I had met her. Yeah, I wasn't. That, she was touring it, I believe. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. So she came down to uh, do a really cool appearance at the gay bar, and I loved it. Yeah, it was it was such a good night. She she did a few songs uh that night. She took some photos, she did some meet and greets and uh Down at evolution. Now my friend Kaylee, my friend Kaylee Cardinal, she gave me a she knew how much I loved that first Tiffany album and how much it meant to me. She gave me her vinyl copy of it as a gift. And so I took that down there that night to get it signed by Tiffany in the silver pen. I was just so happy. That was a fun time. It was really cool too. Cause like yeah. being at that venue, it was like such a small venue, but like everybody there was like, so for it, they were like, everybody was like just yeah. loving the, the, the close atmosphere and getting to like sing along to all of her old stuff. And like, mm -hmm. she even touched my hand and I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool yeah i mean honestly like i wish it it was a very cool intimate interactive setting um there was actual like 
tiny bits of time to talk to her. Like, I wish I could have said more. I would have loved to tell her how much I love this album. Mm-hmm. And I never got the chance to do that because it was like, okay, I can't occupy all her time. You know, I know like, she had so many people that were wanting to meet her and, and yeah. whatnot. So, but like, she was really cool. Such a sweet person. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I was like super impressed with this album. I thought it was awesome. I'm glad you liked it. I always yeah. want you to always share your honest feelings on the album too. And I figured, I mean, I'm like, I'm just going to throw this at you listen to this <laughs> but you know what i love it like I'm, I'm all for i love music and you know if there's something new that i haven't like checked out and somebody's like oh i should you know if i remember because my memory's terrible sometimes i'll be like oh what was that song you wanted me to listen to <laughs> but uh honestly that like that's how i became completely obsessed with brandy carlisle as of late was my best friend was like oh, if you like these two songs, go listen to this one. It's like, okay, now I'm going to like Google everything that she's ever done in her entire life. (laughs) I do that. I do that. I do the whole, like, I'm so into you right now and and I need to absorb everything you've released in one sitting kind of thing. Yeah, totally. I get it. it. Yeah. You you know what we need to do for our next one? Mm. We should do these two episodes back to back. It should be the, uh, the... the Debbie Gibson album that came out of the same year. Oh, and do like, yeah, two for one, sort of. <laughs> Anything is possible. Fantastic album, once again. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. we're totally good. Yeah, I'm down. Very cool. And those two artists who are best friends that used to be considered rivals in the 80s, it's so great because they got to go on tour on the mixtape tour in uh, 2019 with New Kids on the Block and Naughty by Nature and uh, Salt and Peppa. Tiffany, Debbie Gibson, that would have been a cool tour to see. Yeah. Very that much. would have been an awesome one. Yeah. But hey, this, this touring shit's coming back. Let's, let's get Thanks vaccinated and get, get to yes. the concerts. Yes. So but, ready. But yeah, just to wrap things up, I just want to say, hey, Tiffany, I want you on the show. <laughs> yes. I, I actually tried to tweet her about this album a couple times. Where I was like, I really want to talk about this album. But then again, that might not be something she's interested in. Or yeah. she's busy, maybe not have the time. I get it. No pressure. But you know, if she wants to come promote her new stuff. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I always want to promote the new stuff. So yeah. it's really nice to have her on here to do that. Totally. And whatever yeah. she's working on. Be awesome. She's one of my idols. She really is. Wouldn't that be something to have her like among some of the other amazing female artists that you've had on the show, by the way. <laughs> it really would be amazing to have her. I would probably cry afterwards. <laughs> I'm so happy. I would oh, be happy. Yeah, she was a big influence on me. I mean, like those raspy vocals. Mm, love it. Oh, love it. So good. So good. Huge, huge influence on me. So hell yeah. Tiffany. Come on the show. (laughs) (laughs) And I won't talk to you about John Knight. Like every other fucking thing. Like, well, no, no, when they went on the mixtape tour, it was like some of the interviews were like, this isn't that about John. It was really cute. Okay, so I'm going to stop recording now. (laughs) Okay. Hey, kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, Instagram at Dope underscore nostalgia 
visit our website at www.nopestalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.